Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Dolphins and welcome into the Wednesday, October the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to take a deep dive into the defensive and run game, all 22 film from Sunday's loss, some positives, especially from the newest Dolphins defender, but also plenty of bad, including the preseason star of training camp, Plus, Flores had a candid conversation with the media on Monday. We'll detail that press conference at the quarter poll of the season and we'll officially turn the page into the bye week and start talking about some college prospects here on the Wednesday edition. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. That helps us more than you can know. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the Josh Rosen charting project and all the written content for this team you guys could ever want up on the website. Let's go ahead and jump in because we have, like we do every day, a busy show. That's another Miami Dolphins. So Flores met with the media on Monday after the game to discuss the game as well as the first quarter, the first four games of the season, and kind of addressing the state of the team so far and the disappointment that comes along with the 0-4 start. Personally, I thought he spoke with great transparency and a real measured approach, which is what he does. He's been that way since day number one. Most of all, you can tell this stuff is really affecting him and he's taking it personally, the way this team is losing games. And you can pair it to the last guy that was here, we all know who he was, who just seemingly shrugged everything off as somebody else's issue with no accountability. And we heard it all three years with him. Well, it's hard to complete a pass when you can't get a guy blocked or the receiver's running the wrong route. The quarterback has no chance. It just was always somebody else's issue. And that's such an easy demeanor for me, at least, to despise. And Brian Flores is the opposite of that. A lot of accountability on his end. And it feels like he thinks this team should be playing better, even with the challenges that he acknowledges they have had to overcome in that talent deficiency department. Looking for this group to stay positive was his main takeaway. He wants guys to be in the same energy, getting on the same train, because going the other way, he says, helps no one. End quote. There's a certain level of humility with this guy when he says that. The facial expressions. Again, the stuff is just eating away at him. You can tell by the way he communicates and the lack of real energy he has about him right now. And you can see some level of acceptance that this is going to be the story of the season. And it makes me root especially hard for Brian Flores as a person to make it since he has to endure this season. I really hope he doesn't get washed away after 2020 if the Dolphins don't win enough games, whatever that quota might be, because I am rooting for Brian Flores because I believe he's a good guy and I do believe he's a good football coach too. 
A reporter asked him about improvement on the team and trending the right direction. Flores said he didn't think he would use that phrase because it's a production business and obviously the production has not been good enough. He did say there's been some improvement from groups or whether it was one quarter of football or one half of football, but still it's a 60-minute business, a 53-man business, and they basically just have not been good enough to put together a full football game. Again, that was kind of the theme of the presser. The first quarter of the season where he puts things right now, his evaluation, he said it himself, not so good. They made a lot of changes to the roster, building the team on the fly to try to put guys in the best position, but also trying to build the camaraderie, communication, the rapport of those guys. A big part of the first four weeks was getting that done. And he basically admits to the, to the media, to the Dolphins fans, that they did build this team on the fly and kind of strip things down right before the season. And that's probably why you have such a bad performance through four weeks. He said they're trending in the right direction in terms of the team coming together. There's been some positives there, but on the field, they've got a long way to go. So again, he acknowledges that. We're going to talk more about that in the second segment of the podcast. He talked about different areas of the team messing up, whether it was the deep portion of the defense or the intermediate portion of the defense, just have to be more consistent. They just don't have the manpower to overcome all these deficiencies. They can scheme success in certain areas and mask some of those deficiencies at some points, but there's just not enough talent to mask all of it. And to me, that's why this team's coming out in the second half and getting beaten down because the game plan in the first half is good enough to force the other team to try to play left-handed. But once they can go and make adjustments, this coaching staff just has nowhere else they can really turn because they don't have that second type of identity or second type of football that they can throw at you and beat you in another way. They're going to have to do it through deception and they've held their end of the bargain that way in the first half last two games. But then once the adjustments come and the Dolphins just do not have that counterpunch, so to speak. That's when things start to unravel. Flores then went on to mention they're going to evaluate the entire team and find a way to get as many guys out there as they can, but get the guys they want out there in specific situations. So basically what we've talked about all summer long, an extended preseason, an extended evaluation season from here on going forward. And then the mode shift to more individual performances as questions came up first about Taco Charlton. And Flores mentioned some issues trying to learn the defense. And there was a video I showed on the Twitter thread where he gets completely lost in coverage and has no idea where to go. Flores mentioned that in the press conference. So I thought that was kind of funny that we jived on that, but he still learning the defense. He's a hardworking kid. And Flores said, I like him. He's got energy, length, toughness, a long way to go from a pass rush standpoint, which again, segment two, we'll talk about that, but he has a long way to go with using his length, his speed and his ability. But I think there's a lot there said coach Flores. We'll talk more about taco in segment two. Avery Moss showed up the last couple of weeks. He's playing with the right techniques from a run standpoint. I think that's huge going forward. He made a point about Christian Wilkins and that penalty video that they show that stuff to the team every week as examples of what they do not want to be. But he also ended that by saying, I love Christian. He knows that. Flores spoke about how Wilkins is going to be here for a long time and be the face of what we want to be about. And that's not it. He knows that. The entire team knows that. I thought that was a really cool way to go to bat for his first round draft pick. He's got a lot of confidence in Jason Sanders. He said he just said that in front of the entire team. We're going to keep kicking. He makes them in practice day after day. He'll be fine. Not worried about Jason Sanders. As far as his bye week plans, kind of a funny moment, some levity in the press conference. He said the wife will probably have something planned for him. If it was up to him, he'd be in the building working, but it's not up to him. So he'll just follow the wife, whatever she says goes. Somebody asked about the most improved guy since training camp began. Flora laughed and kind of basically gave a nod to saying, well, 
Most of the guys that are here weren't here when training camp began. And so he talked more about Avery Moss and how he improved. He talked about Michael Dieter, who basically was deer in the headlights his first preseason game and the way he's come along to play left tackle on the road in a hostile environment. And though he didn't play well, he thought that he responded very well to that action. So that's good news. He talked about Christian Wilkins as well being tossed in there. The entire theme of the presser, the entire demeanor of the presser was super subdued. I mean, we think this is hard on us as fans, but as a coach, it really is killing Coach Flores. And personally, I know it sucks to say this, but I like to see that from him. There just seems to be more fight in him than coaches that were here previously. So that's where Coach is and where the team is after four games. We're going to finish up the first quarter of the season in segment number two with an all-22 review of the defense and the running game and get you guys some ideas on the concepts these two sides of the ball are doing so far in Miami. Before we do that, 3 million people already use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year in overdraft fees. That's why it's the number one budgeting app in the App Store. Go to dave.com slash locked on and never pay another overdraft fee again with dave.com. And since you're saving all that money, what better way to surprise the wife than to get yourself some Blue Chew and enhance your performance in the bedroom? Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can blow your wife's back out anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever it's time to curl some toes. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. You don't have to go down to the adult store anymore. You can just order some Blue Chew and get that stuff taken care of. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it today for free. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We're all going to get back up on our feet again here. Hopefully by next season, it's going to be a long one this year. We know we watch Washington and Cincinnati and Denver all fall to 0-4 over the weekend. Hopefully, they don't infringe on the Dolphins' plans for going up and getting that quarterback we also desire in this year's draft. And before we turn the page here and get into the All-22 review from Sunday's loss, I wanted to share a quick audio sample from one of our writers over at LockedOnDolphins.com. His name is Chris. He's Finn Troopers on Twitter, at Finn Troopers. He played a very good video, or made, I should say, a very good video from Brian Flores' press conference. Let's go ahead and listen in. To, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh. The caption was, Brian Flores gives a clear explanation as to what he hopes to achieve with the Dolphins' 2019 season, and he lays it over with a bunch of two, uh, jammed together, saying Tua from Brian Flores. Just hilarious work from my guy over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Too good not to share. And with that, let's go ahead and change gears here and jump back into the All-22 tape. It was available early on Monday, so I appreciate the NFL.com website for getting that done. But I looked at the defense on Tuesday 
today for the Wednesday show here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Of course, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I want to start off the top here with Taco Charlton, who made the biggest impact on my Twitter thread, 19 videos in all. I think that Charlton was five or was featured in five of those videos. And the sack was really a nice piece of work that he got on Sunday, keeping his frame clean with a two-handed chop. He attacks the upfield shoulder of the tight end and flattens the edge once he beats him. That's really nice work. That's what you're supposed to do as a defensive end when you draw a tight end in pass protection. And the hustle plays for this guy are showing up often. On top of that, the best thing he's doing is setting the edge in the running game. He's long, like Flores mentioned, and he can lock out and make his read from there. Two-gap system. A real scheme fit with the Dolphins, I think. Best thing of all of it is that he's so well-versed in sniffing out the dig-out split zone. Split zone is just a counteraction off of outside zone. You're going to get every lineman working the same direction, the same first step, but you're going to peel a tight end from the backside and bring him across the formation to seal the backside. And Taco Charlton recognizes this. He recognizes pulling guards and gets himself in position to play both the edge and work back inside. And that's going to be very valuable for him going forward. That's why Brian Flores told us that he likes this guy because he fits the idea of what they want to be on the defensive line. And you watch him side by side doing that exact same job on the digouts or the pulling guards with Sam Aguavin. I know he's a linebacker, but they do the same job on a lot of instances. It's just night and day between he and Aguavin. And speaking of Aguavin, oh buddy, it's not good. You can check out the defensive Twitter video thread on my timeline at Wingfield NFL. I had those four or five good taco plays, but there are four or five really, really bad Aguavin plays. Just no strength at the point of attack. He's passively attacking the pulling guard, whoever the block is in front of him, playing with minimal confidence, panicking in coverage, missing tackles on a fullback like Derek Watt in the open field. It's just not good all the way around. He needs this bye week more than anybody in my opinion. Another guy that stood out for a couple of reasons, Christian Wilkins. I thought he made some plays. There's definitely something there with a two gap and his low center of gravity. My goodness, he has a wide, powerful base and has that pure strength like Devon Godshaw has. But there are instances where he still wants to attack upfield and he's almost fighting himself to not do it. I don't think that he was the best player on the team like PFF said he was, or maybe it was the second best player behind Raekwon, but I think he's going to get better as the year goes along because he's starting to apply some of those traits more and more as we go forward four games into the season. Next to him, Devon Godshaw, he did his thing as usual. There are reps where he'll get displaced by a gap or two where he gets pushed out of the play, but man, he is so stout against the run at the point of attack. And then the guy that Flores mentioned in his presser, Avery Moss, and he said that he and McMillan were two of the guys he's been most impressed with in terms of their growth. And you can maybe see that with Avery Moss catching on here as a three slash five technique hybrid, two gapping again. He does well to prevent the pin and seal combination with McMillan on the spill and scrape. There's a video in the thread where he works inside and does a good job holding that offensive lineman inside so that McMillan can come down and scrape the edge and make the play in the running game. Really good tan up working together there and McMillan you guys know how I felt about his game he is a car crash every play in the best way imaginable the way he attacks downhill they have him working pretty simple concepts 
where he's working downhill as a stack backer or setting the edge off the side of the strong side, I should say, in the running game. Really a big fan of what he's done so far. Other players back in the secondary, Eric Rowe, nothing has changed for me compared to what I saw on the broadcast watch. He just gets punked at the top of the route. It's that panic we talk about where guys do a good job of staying in phase and in contact up the stem, but once you get to the top of the stem and the receiver then can kind of stack you and make you miss based on the way he moves at the top of the route, it looks like Eric Rowe just panics in those situations and winds up getting beat badly pretty often. Johnson Batamosi, I'll just say there's a reason he's a special team exclusive player for most of his career. He's not going to come down and cover like they want the safeties in the scheme to do. It just was a bad look for him, but they don't have anybody else, so you got to play him. Steven Parker, I want to get a closer look at him, but I think that he's doing really well in playing the role as that deep center field safety, especially in some of the concepts the back end wants to run where they wall off. Again, he was pretty much off duty since the linebackers were just getting taken to task over and over in this game, but I'm intrigued by Steven Parker. Moving back down to the corner opposite Eric Rowe, Xavier Howard was not good in this game. We talked about his stats on the podcast yesterday. I think that this guy's a little bit miffed right now by the tank personally. He's not been putting in the best effort the last couple of games, and he's just not playing the dominant style of football we expect him to. So Xavier Howard, maybe this will be kind of an off year for him. Hopefully we get him back re-engaged by the time they come back to camp next season. As far as Rashad Jones' effort on that Austin Eckler touchdown, I'll just say it was total bullshit. You got to do better than that. He basically watched him go right up the sideline for that touchdown. You just need more effort than that right now because it's all you can really ask. And if you're not giving effort, then what are you exactly doing on this team? But all things told, I think the structure and the bones of this defense is good. They want to wall off the backside and prevent you from getting to where you want to go. The idea is to alter the path into the help and funnel into help. I think they can make that happen soon, maybe as early as 2020 when they kind of get some guys overturned here on this roster, but they have to get a better pass rush and much, much better linebacker play than what we've seen so far. Jerome Baker and Sam McGuavin are just killing them right now in coverage, either getting too much depth, not recognizing the underneath route combination, not doing a good job passing off from zone to zone. We really can't evaluate the safety play all that much because everything underneath is wide open and they're just getting exposed underneath and then poor tackling. It's a mess under there. They're going to have to get that fixed. It just looks like they're guessing right now in coverage and finding out who has which man as far as Aguavin and Baker are concerned. Now, as far as the pass rush, not so much in that you need guys that are just pure edge rushers like the Chandler Jones of the world or whoever you want to throw out there, but guys that just fit the scheme and the ability to stunt and twist and overload pressure. The Patriots defense is so good at executing this because they are effective at running these style of defenses with Kyle Van Noy and Donta Hightower. The Dolphins just don't have guys guys like that right now. We'll see if they can get them in the offseason, but that's a big reason this scheme is not working out so far. As far as the running game on the offensive side of the ball, I didn't think it was as good as I originally thought with Evan Bame and Isaiah Prince. There are clips where everyone does well, but for the most part, there's too much falling off blocks, too many guys on the ground. Where Miami did get them was going with 13 personnel against the Chargers' preferred sub packages like dime and nickel defense, where you have six or five defensive backs on the field. Against that heavy personnel, it allowed for some double teams on the inside against the point of attack, and that did a good job of resetting the line of scrimmage to create yards that way. I thought Drake was decisive. I thought Mark Walton was the same. Kalen Balaj, not so much. 
Receivers in the blocking game, that's all I really had to evaluate here in this one. I thought they did an excellent job of showing you what they want to be as receivers on the first play of the game. They throw a swing route to Kenyon Drake and just allow those long receivers in Parker and Williams to lock out and block downfield. A very good look there for the future for what they might look for in future receivers on this team. As far as tight end goes, Durham Smythe coming across the formation and digging people out is his forte. And I know Mike Kosicki isn't showing up in the box score, but I've been quite pleased with his work so far. He's doing more things that looked entirely foreign to him last year, and he's showing more strength and quality uh, or contact balance, I should say. I think that next year might be the year where he makes the leap. Right now, he's learning more of the fine points of his game that he could not do last season. So I guess you could say that I'm betting on Mike Kosicki to get things cranking here in the box score within the next year. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my own money on the game. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because, well, they're my Dolphins. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. Between football season and MLB playoffs and the start of the NBA and NHL seasons, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action. If you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit when you use promo code Locked On to activate the offer. That's promo code Locked On to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. At least for one week up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the college scouting articles have morphed from quarterback exclusive write-ups and reports to all positions across football. You guys saw me tweeting out videos on Saturday of all these guys making plays, potential first round draft picks, maybe even into the second round. Well, guess what? I took some notes on those guys too, and here are those notes. I started off with the offensive line and Tyler Byadash of the Wisconsin Badgers offensive line. They are corn-fed and they blow people off the football. With Byadash, I noticed he has really good knee bend, which of course is integral to playing offensive line. You want to be able to bend at the knees, not the waist. He's got a low center of gravity and a low anchor that he can drop at any time. He takes vertical sets and runs one-gap penetrators right past the mesh point where basically a guy wants to get upfield and he lets them get there and he just pushes them where they want to go. Very good work in both the run game and passing game. It looks like what an offensive tackle would do where you let them run the arc and you just push them right alongside it. He's a violent hand striker and he has a really good push and pin type of mentality where he gets his hands on you and then throws you to the ground because he's strong as hell. He does have some deficiency in athletic ability. He's on the ground a little bit, but he is definitely strong and can push guys around at the point of attack and he is the leader of that Wisconsin offensive line. Lucas Nyang, the tackle from Texas 
Texas Christian, six foot six, 340 pounds, has ridiculous length and athleticism. He might be the guy you want to groom as your long-term right tackle here. Maybe a second round pick. He's super long, but not technically sound. He reaches a little bit too much, gets out over in front of his skis. But once he latches on, it's totally over. I saw a play where he reached the three technique. They run stretch off of him because guys have a hard time winning on his back shoulder. A little bit too top heavy, might be a waist bender, but there is some skill in that dude from Texas Christian. So Tyler Bayadash and Lucas Nyong, the one that I like the most probably is the Oklahoma center and Creed Humphrey. Man, this guy plays through the whistle and plays with an absolute mean streak. He wants to be an ass kicker, as I think it was Joe Marino of Locked On Bill says, an ass kickers club only for Creed Humphrey. He puts people on the ground and really, really likes to hit folks. He's very good at mirroring in the passing and pass protection. He has very easy lateral transitions. When you see him run the mirror drill at the combine in Indianapolis, he's going to be flawed in that drill. This guy is very, very good. Possibly the Dolphins' third first-round pick with the one that comes over from the Houston Texans. Receivers, I thought C.D. Lamb has excellent start-stop ability, an exceptional route runner. He can throttle down and take off seamlessly. Once he hits the ground, boop, he's gone. It's really impressive to watch. Super strong hands. He can pluck it away from his body as well as anybody. Jerry Judy, the way he dispositions defenders without decelerating, he can sink his hip to the top of the route. He has the strong hands that C.D. Lamb does. So impressive to watch him run routes and get himself open. But maybe the most impressive part about his game, and we're going to go back into a guy that we talk about a lot on the podcast, was that Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy were held in check in that game on Saturday, and Tua still had seven touchdowns and 418 passing yards. Just saying. Another receiver I watched was T. Higgins against North Carolina. He eats up so much ground with that smooth striding, those long strides. He's a decisive route runner. He can put guys in peril, and he is very good in contested catches and coming down with catches where he has to show his big radius, which of course is massive. And like the other two guys, he too has very strong hands. At cornerback, Jeffrey Akuda. what a game he had on Saturday in Nebraska. Outstanding do-it-all corner, remarkable feet, smooth transitions going all directions, whether it's back, forward, laterally, good zone or man instincts. He has the instincts to play with his butt to the sideline and drive off of those and make a play on the football. He is an aggressive sound tackler. He plays the pass as well as anybody. Man covers, zone corner, great tackler, great ball skills on point. He has three picks in the last two weeks. The three things that Flores likes at cornerback, tackling, tracking, and ball skills. He checks all three of those boxes and plays man cover corner very well for opposite Xavier Howard. Running back, J.K. Dobbins, such a tough, compact runner. Patience, runs behind his pads. He finishes runs. I love watching that from smaller guys. He's very well adept as a pass catcher, but he loves to stick his face in the fan in pass protection and get up there and lay the contact and not be the one that absorbs the contact. Kind of like Sam McGuavin, the opposite of that. And the last guy I watched over the weekend was the Georgia-Notre Dame game, so going back two weeks. But Khalid Kareem, the defensive edge from Notre Dame, he's six foot four, two sixty-five, basically the ideal prototype for that edge position. He can fire out from a four-point stance, not super explosive, but he can get out of it quickly enough, and he can convert that speed to power. He lines up on either side. He showed plenty of twisting and stunting. Again, big prominent things in this defense. He's long. He can push and pin with a hand strike, an aggressive hand strike, and keep his frame clean that way. He can dent and set the edge. He's special in that regard. He plays all three downs. He got the best of Andrew Thomas, the number one tackle in this class from Georgia, a few times 
in this game. He's extremely well-versed in playing the strong side five eye technique, the right shoulder of the right tackle, shooting upfield, setting the edge, and then working back underneath to get involved, kind of like Taco Charlton did on Sunday. So impressed by him. The last guy I watched was the safety from Clemson, Isaiah Simmons. My goodness, what a player. If you guys can find the thread, just type in at Wingfield NFL, Isaiah Simmons. He made four consecutive plays where he was just awesome. I put the first three in that Twitter thread. He's good in coverage, zone, man. He's long, can disrupt passing lanes. His edge pursuit is terrific. A fantastic blitzer. One of those plays I'm referencing, he blew the running back up in pass protection. He's not the biggest hitter. He doesn't crave contact the way some guys do, like a Jamal Adams. Not a punishing hitter, but a good sound tackler. So I'll take that trade off any day. I really enjoyed watching those games and taking those notes. That's my plan going forward on Saturdays now. I'm also looking very much forward to tomorrow's podcast. I'm going to get into some film work on my favorite free agent options at the biggest positions of need on this team. So keep an eye out for that. Friday will be the mailbag show and more future scouting, both college and pro. And then we'll have a show on Sunday for you guys, the flagship show after the late games, before the primetime game on Sunday night. It'll be mock off season part one. I'm going to fix this team in one off season. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. 